Well, I just, I have to talk about it because it's, it's obviously what we were, you know, celebrating, thinking about in a lot of ways yesterday, Independence Day. And uh, I wanted to start by just saying, in the, uh, off the top of your head, try to think about what is the most common used food on the 4th of July. I, I'm sure we all have our different favorites, right? So um, I, I have a growing love for bacon, so I had bacon. It was delicious. Right, but so many of us, there's different traditions we have. I know this year maybe is a little different because maybe you didn't have people over or there was restrictions or different things. Um, but off the top of your head, what do you think the number one food for Fourth of July is across our entire nation? Can you guess? Hot dogs. Yes, hot dogs. All right. So let me go through the list. It's kind of uh, uh, surprising in some ways, um, especially for those of us here in Southern California. I, I would have to disagree with a few of these. But here we go. So number one is hot dogs. Number two, firecracker popsicles. Did anyone have one of those? I, yeah, I, I mean, I remember them from being a kid, but I'm surprised I made the list. Uh, number three, baked beans. Number four, potato salad. Number five, anything barbecued, especially if it's in, uh, you know, the, uh, the delicious sauce from Ken. Um, let's see, deviled eggs, strawberry shortcake, bratwurst, burgers, potato chips, coleslaw, pie. Um, I'll say honorable mention will be these macaroni salad, ice cream, and buffalo wings. Did anyone have buffalo wings? I had one. We had a leftover, and I made sure I ate the last one, which was good. But what's not on the list, which is really surprising for Southern California, is like carne asada and street tacos, right? That, like, did anyone have that? No. Okay, never mind. I don't know what I'm talking about today. All right. So uh, clearly, this is just, you know, a, a, a list to make you be hungry, be thinking about lunch today, and, uh, you know, celebrating Fourth of July by, you know, gaining some weight and uh, indulging yourself. But you know, the cool thing is I think we all have different memories of what Ju July 4th looks like. It's one of those holidays that growing up, you kind of maybe have specific memories. And one of the cool things about it that I want to share with you just, again, as, as we're starting off today, is that for me and my wife, July 4th has a lot of special meaning because nine years ago on July 3rd um, was the day I asked her to be my wife. And so I have a couple pictures I wanted to share with you guys. So that's us in Africa, actually, in Uganda. Uh, my wife was a missionary out there. I, I was not the missionary. I just wanted her, so I chased her out there. But she was the one working hard with the kiddos, and I went out there to help. And um, on July 3rd, I proposed and asked her to marry me while we were out there. And uh, yeah, there's another picture. I mean, that's, that's staged, obviously. That's not the moment of, but still, you get the idea. And then there's one more picture of just the one of the families we were working with, um, I'm the only pasty dude over there in the right. You can pick me out pretty quick. Um, wonderful family, such, such cool people. And it was a great experience. Again, I can't take credit for it because it really was her ministry, and I was just there to support her and be a part of it. Um, but for me, every time July 4th comes around, one, I remember the beautiful experience of asking her to be my wife and her saying yes. Uh, but number two, for me, it was actually a day of a lot of independence. Um, because without going back into a lot of the details of my life growing up, I didn't grow up in a family where um, strength, independence, thinking for yourself was not something that was highlighted, was not something that was praised or encouraged. Uh, you really were encouraged to kind of get in line and do what you were told. And this step for me was a huge step in my relationship with God, obviously my wife, but even for myself in taking this step to say, you know, there's something worth pursuing. And it really is one of the first steps I took where I began to break away from some unhealthy family habits and relational habits and say, God, like, 
she's way too awesome to pass up. I need to pursue this. But it also began to open up doors, and God began to use her, uh, my wife, to help me see that there was things in my life that were holding me back. And this question of what has God called you to? What has God created you for? Um, Not to people please or not to just get in line like everybody else, but why are you on earth? What is your purpose? To really ask yourself that question and not just ponder it, but begin to take steps where you take hold of it where you reach out and say, God, you've given me this life. I'm responsible. What can I do to take hold of the the will, your will in my life and your power in my life? And, you know, that leads me right into thinking about what this day means, Independence Day. Um, I don't know, for you, maybe it was a great holiday, maybe it wasn't. I know across our country there's a lot of turmoil, there's a lot of questions, anger, pain, and fear going on. And I'm not going to get into all the political sides and all that kind of stuff. But one thing I do want to do, because it was Independence Day, is I would love to read to you um, some of the uh, passage of the Declaration of Independence. Because regardless of the individuals who wrote it, the words in it are something that are very powerful. That as I was reading it, and it's been a long time since I've thought about it and read it, but as I was reading it, um, there was direct connections with things that are absolutely the character of God. Um, the heart of Jesus himself. And so let me read a little bit of it. This is 244 years ago yesterday is when this was officially signed and declared. So here we go. In Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. It says this. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bonds which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth this separate and equal station of which the laws of nature and, the na- and nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. And this very, very famous section. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then it will go on through an entire list that talks about uh, the injustices and the, 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 the horrific things that, that England was doing to the colonies, the oppressive uh, tyranny that was going on. And one thing in that section that's really important is, uh, uh, this is really a powerful moment that I was reading because I think it, it might be a challenge to us today. It says, prudence indeed will dictate the governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And according to all experience have shown that mankind is more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms in which they are accustomed. That's a powerful line. They're saying in the Declaration of Independence that through history, it is more likely that humans will sit back and continue to suffer under things that should not be happening, things that are literally demonic um, attacks against God's children across the world, that we would rather sit back and just suffer it than actually take a stand and say, no, this is wrong. I'm going to stand for truth. I'm going to stand for justice and equality. it says that straight in our, our Declaration of Independence that humans will actually kind of take a, a back seat and just get in line. And the very final section of it says this, and I love how powerful the final statement of it that they wrote. It says, and for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. That's powerful. 
Because what they're saying in there, when they sign this and they turn it in, they send the word uh, to England, they think we're dead, we're, we're done. But still, this is a cause worth fighting for. This is a cause worth standing and saying, this has to end. We respectfully are going to move on because we believe that there should be freedom. There should be liberty in this country for people to pursue happiness and goodness and fulfillment, to have the freedom of religion, the freedom of their choice to decide what does abundant life look like. They said, That's, everyone has that right, and we're going to fight for it. And I love that. What a powerful, powerful reminder for all of us today. And no matter where you come from, no matter uh, what your perspective of what's going on in our nation today, the reminder is that we are unified by a declaration of independence that we find in Jesus Christ himself, right? That that's something we all can agree on today, that Jesus came to set us free, that he made his own declaration of independence saying all of God's people, all of God's creation deserve freedom from sin, freedom from death, and I'm going to literally sacrifice myself I'm going to give my life to offer that to them. That's a powerful message that we all can pull from today. I love this quote, and I'll, I'll say it later on as well, but I think for in the lift notes, there's two open spaces you can fill in if you're doing that. And it's this beautiful quote by historian George Billius. It says that independence, talking about the United States, independence amounted to a new status of interdependence. The United States was now a sovereign nation, entitled to all the privileges and responsibilities that came with that status. America thus became a member of the international community, which meant becoming a maker of treaties and alliances, a military ally in diplomacy, and a partner in foreign, foreign trade on a more equal basis. But again, that first, those first two fill-ins, independence amounted to a new status of interdependence. Does that make sense? That as America said, we want to be independent of England, it didn't mean now we're just on our own and we're our own little island. To have that kind of independence and strength to be able to carry out their purpose, there still was an interdependence in others. To say, where are like-minded individuals and nations that we can team up with and gain strength? England was already doing that. That was part of the problem. That was part of the Declaration of Independence against them was England was hiring German mercenaries to come in and enforce rule. So England was already passing out and saying, hey, we're getting all of our buddies. We're going to gang up and try to enforce this. And so the United States says, not only do we need to be free from you, but now we need to learn where can we put our dependence? Where can we build relationship? Where can we gain strength and numbers and not just be alone? And so in the remaining time we have, that's, that's a beautiful message of dependence, independence, and interdependence. The remaining time we have, there's just one simple scripture I'd like to go over with all of you today. As I was thinking about this, uh, this idea, the, these beautiful themes in the Declaration of Independence, and then, uh, of course, you know, Casey's been leading us through the Psalms, and being a worship leader, it's kind of like cliche, you got to do a psalm, right? It's either a psalm or Song of Solomon, and we're not doing Song of Solomon today, so we'll do a psalm, right? So Psalm number eight, if you know Psalm eight, it's a beautiful, simple, wonderful psalm. Um, and I want to read it to you in its entirety first, and then I'll break it down a little bit. But it absolutely applies to this idea of being dependent and having independence in God and what he wants to do in our lives. So here we go. Let's start from the beginning. It says this, that Psalm 8, for the choir director, a psalm of David to be accompanied by a stringed instrument. And let, let's do this. Um, for verse 1, uh, I want you to say it with me. So when verse 2 starts, you can stop. But literally, that's what this psalm was used for, is it was a psalm of worship. 
So the very first line and the very last verse was something the congregation would say together while the rest of it would be a soloist or soloist who would sing this. So I'm not going to have us sing, but let's say it together, all right? So here we go. One, two, three. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. While I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you have made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You've given them charge over everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish of the sea, and everything that swims in the ocean currents. And one more time all together. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Beautiful passage of scripture. So simple. I think it's like 170 words in total. Um, And let me just give you a little bit of background to this. So obviously we know David wrote it. Um, so he's, he wrote a bunch of the Psalms, King David. A lot of them were written before he stepped into being king. And this is times in the wilderness, times on the run for his life, times when he's out with the sheep. Um, and we don't know specifically in his life when he wrote this uh, specific Psalm, but you can see a ton of imagery in it, right? When we look back and, and, and we think of King David and, and David that was being trained to be king, um, watching out for the sheep, he killed the bear, he killed a lion, ultimately he killed Goliath. Um, and all of these things, he's stepping into a protecting role. He's putting himself in harm's way, but he's standing for justice. He's standing for truth and protection. And we can see this all over this Psalm number eight, which is beautiful. Um, and, and another thing to keep in mind as we kind of pick it apart a little bit is that David is writing out of what he's experiencing at that moment. So I don't know if he's laying outside when he talks about the moon and the stars above, and, and he's just in awe of God and writes this psalm. I don't know if that's literally happening at this moment, but we know that one, that David is writing from his understanding and his experience of God, and two, that this psalm, even if he didn't know it, is extremely prophetic. It's not just talking about things that David would experience in his lifetime, but it's talking about a day to come, a promise to come, and we'll see that throughout. So let me walk through it with you. We'll go back to verse number one. Verse number one says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, or your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens themselves. And really, in in declaring worship, this is a great line, right? O Lord, our Lord. It's this overall, you are Lord of creation, but you're also our Lord. We declare our allegiance to you. That's a great opening line. If you're writing a worship song, I'll say this to myself. If you're writing a worship song, use that sometime. That's awesome. Um, David starts right away with this powerful statement, and and originally translated, a lot lot of Bible scholars see this word as as literally being overwhelmed and trying to describe. David is struggling to find the words to describe in this opening statement how powerful, how majestic, how amazing, how awe-inspiring God is. It's this ultimate, God, I just want to worship you, and I don't even have enough words to put it together to say how much you deserve our praise. He's saying, oh God of the universe, you're our Savior, Your name and your character and your works, they resound through the heavens and the earth. You know, right away, I think of different scripture verses that that, uh, imitate or or kind of uh, mimic the exact same phrasing. When you think about um, Jesus saying, you know, that if if humans don't worship, then the rocks themselves will cry out. Uh, We can look at Psalm 19. 
It says this, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs his course with joy. Again, beautiful imagery in the Psalms talking about the majesty and the power of God and how nature itself is screaming and testifying to the goodness of God. Isaiah 55 says, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Beautiful imagery again of nature worshiping God. And then Romans 1.20 says this, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So again, earth is testifying of the goodness and the power of our Lord and Savior. And the second line is another great statement of worship where he says, your glory is higher than the heavens. And literally, David is saying, it, it's, it's not just about earth worshiping you and testifying to your goodness. Literally, the heavens, the universe itself can't contain you. You are so big and so awesome and so magnificent that the universe, it's an entirety, can't, can't keep you locked in. You're bigger than that. And again, we see him looking up into the sky and just imagining, God, you, you created this. You're the master behind all of this. You're so incredible. I can't even put into words what an amazing God you are. So once again, it's important to remember that this psalm, as we look at it, it's starting in total worship and adoration. It's declaring, uh, I am yours, God. I worship you. You are God of the heavens. This beautiful declaration of the goodness of God and his rule over all of mankind and the universe. And then right away, one of the unique things about this psalm, which happens sometimes when you're reading them, Right away when we get into the next segment, verse 2, um, it almost kind of feels like David, like, had Tourette's or something. Or not, not Tourette's, but, like, ADD, where he's, like, now off in this direction, where you're kind of like, where, how did you go to that, that spot? And I'll show you what he says. So he's worshiping God and, and still talking about worship, but he says, You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. And right away... It, the thing is, okay, yes, it's about worship, but now we're talking about children and babies, and now we're talking about the enemies and silencing them. And at, at first glance for me, I was like, okay, I need to look at this because he's obviously doing something here, again, poetic, but what in the world? Which direction did we just turn to? And this is the huge and powerful almighty God who can do anything he wants. David is saying, you use babies to silence your enemies, to carry out your purpose in your worship. And what's interesting to me, and what's kind of funny about it, is that when I think of my own kids, uh, I have a six-year-old and a two-year-old, um, sometimes I have no idea what's about to come out of their mouth, right? Like entrusting them with your worship and declaring your goodness to me is just kind of a, it's a humorous idea because they say some of the most awesome and crazy off-the-wall things sometimes. And so the idea of children actually having the wisdom uh, and the connection with God to declare the truth about him um, it is, in some ways, to me, it's like a, a fun, humorous idea. But to ask the question, okay, so if David knows what he's doing, then what is he writing? What's the essence of this passage, this, this section? And in this writing, David can be seen using symbolism. Uh, maybe he's talking about children, could be mankind and its frailty, our weakness compared to God. Maybe he's literally looking at himself saying, I feel like a baby singing your praise right now because you're so big. 
Um, but it could also literally mean babies and children, the weak and the helpless, the new and the fresh and the pure. Um, and we see this specific example in Jesus' ministry. If we look at Matthew 21, Jesus himself quotes this passage, but he's using it in regards literally to children and infants giving him praise. And so it says this, Matthew 21 says this, that after Jesus entered Jerusalem days before his death, the Pharisees were upset that some of the children in the temple were proclaiming, Hosanna to the son of David, which is a huge statement because that means they're declaring him as the Messiah. All right, so they're, they're declaring this and the, the religious leaders are ticked off. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise for yourself. Jesus himself quotes it, but uses it in that specific situation. And, and honestly, when you look at this, and, and there's, oh, there's so much depth, there's so much uh, prophecy going on at this moment in time for David, because he has no idea the Messiah himself is going to quote this. But it's such a beautiful picture because also what's happening here is it's not just a specific moment in time when children are declaring that Jesus is the Messiah, but there is a beautiful message of the restoration and the power and authority that God wants to give back to the human race that he always intended. You know, Satan, when we see in the beginning in Genesis, Satan, who is the true enemy of God, what did he go after? He went after man and woman, God's prized creation the creation that God wanted to have intimate relationship with, Satan goes right after it to destroy and separate them from the goodness of God, to cause confusion and to bring sin and pain into this world. And through Adam, sin entered. It came in. It was a part of the world that we experience now. And every new life that would be born into this world is born into sin. My own children will and do understand pain and sin um, because it entered through Adam and Eve because of Satan bringing that temptation to them. So every new life is going to be under that same curse. In a way, you could look and say, man, Satan, wow, you, you accomplished quite a goal to separate mankind for every generation from God through sin. But David, in his worship, declares that there is new life of babies and children, and God is ordaining praise through them that these same children, these same innocent lives that Satan would like to rob and destroy, that it's through them, through their innocence and their purity that God brings about his praise. And what's so cool about it is you see this powerful God, and instead of using his physical force, he's going to use the things, what does the Bible say? That God uses the simple things to confound the wise, right? God is literally using these innocent children the purity and the, the humble, he's using that to literally turn Satan's plans upside down and bring about his will. And it's also a testimony to what is going to come, that while today we suffer sin and we struggle through brokenness and, and, and horrific things in our society and world that have happened for generations, the promise is coming that a new life, a final and new birth is coming where we will experience in the purity and goodness the life that God always intended for us that God's will is going to be fulfilled, that he will have perfect relationship with us, and we will rule with him, which is such an incredible promise. So we go in this psalm from saying, God, you're almighty, you're all powerful. I don't even have words to describe you, to saying, God, I, I, I come to you in humility. We come to you in humility. And God, we thank you that we can already see that it's through our worship. It's not through our own strength. It's not through uh, my own power that the enemy is defeated, but it's through the worship. You use our lives, God in simple ways, and you flip the plan of the enemy upside down to defeat him. 
And then David's going to go through some beautiful passages of Scripture as well. So verse 3, he says, When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you would care about them. Immediately as I'm reading that, I think of 1 Peter 5 where it says, Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. What a powerful scripture. And that's what David is saying. He says, when I look around me, when I look at the night sky, when I look at the universe, when I think about how small and frail I am, and I see how big you are, God, why do you even know, why are you even mindful of us? And then he says, why do you even care for us? Which is a much more personal thing. He's saying on a whole, God, why, why are you even aware that we exist? And then even more intimately, God, how, how is it that you actually care for me? That you know me intimately? And you want to know me more. You want to grow in our relationship. How can that possibly be? And as Peter said there, that we are to cast our cares. We are supposed to say, God, because you care, because you love me, because you're there, because you're aware of what I'm going through, I can bring my worries, I can bring my stress, I can bring my pain, and I can offer it to you. You want to take it from me, and you want to give me in exchange peace and hope and joy and strength and promise. And that's a beautiful promise to us today. This psalm is moving through. God, you're huge. I'm so small. How in the world do you know I exist? Oh, but I'm so thankful you know. I'm so thankful you care. I'm so thankful your love is always there for me. And then these last couple verses that David will lead us through, he says this, yet you made them, he's talking about mankind, you made them only a little lower than God or angels, some of the translations say, and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims in the ocean currents. And then he finishes with that final statement again of, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. And so this final section where he's going through, I don't know about you, but as, as I read it, it's bringing back memories of Genesis, right? He's going through that, that God created them a little lower than the angels, so we're not in our glorified state yet. So still angels are, are, are in God's presence in a way that we can't be. They're pure in a way that we can't be in God's presence in his kingdom. So we're a little lower for now, but he crowned us with glory and honor. And then we were put in charge of everything that God made. Literally all the animals, all the earth that God said, I give you authority to work with me in my kingdom and rule and reign over all of it. And so immediately I think of Genesis, and one of the beautiful things, I won't go into the passages of Scripture, but one of the beautiful things about Genesis is you have two different types of creation story. Genesis chapter 1 talks about God creating everything, and man is last, and we're very small compared to all of God's amazing creation. But Genesis chapter 2, it talks and spends the main focus about man and woman how God created us with his very fingers, how God gets down in the dirt, and it's very, it's full of imagery, how God gets down and is personally acquainted with breathing life into us, forming us with his hands. And so this beautiful picture of the intimacy of God and his power, um, and then the authority that he gives us to rule and reign, um, that authority has not been taken away. That authority is still something that God is offering to us today, that we're called to today. Um, but as I, I think about this and I look back and I think about Adam and Eve, you know, they, they lived in a sinless world. Sin wasn't introduced yet. And honestly, I mean, I don't want to sound like rude, but how did that work out for them? It didn't work out that great, right? 
Because when they were confronted with this option of free will to say, will you surrender continually to God, or do you want to try to figure out what knowledge of good and evil is on your own? You want to take your own step? You want to have your own plans and uh, in your own strength do this? Or do you want to trust God? What do they choose? And honestly, we continue to do the same thing in our lives, right? But think about it. Would you rather spend your entire life not knowing what sin is and brokenness and all of that, but never understand what free will looks like? Or would you like to experience free will? And even though there is pain and suffering because of sin, to say every day God is giving us the power to overcome it, to see the free will and independence that God has given us, his authority, is something that is growing us and preparing us for the life to come. Isn't that why this is so important? That's why this life matters so much, is that someday in eternity, we're going to be perfect. We're going to be like God. He's going to take away all the sin and pain and shame and all of it. And man, I cannot wait for that day. But in the meantime, we have the opportunity, not in perfection, but we have the opportunity to experience the authority and the power and the goodness of God now. And that comes with us taking our our free will and saying, God, I want to pursue you. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to acknowledge that you're king of it all. And I also want to acknowledge that you've given me authority. You've called me to take steps to live a free life, a life of liberty. I love, there's another passage of scripture that we can see the importance of Psalm 9 all through the Bible, especially the New Testament. There's a lot of times where Jesus himself quotes it. There's other places where other writers will quote it as well. And one is specifically in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. It says this, and a lot of it's very, almost word for word. For he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which they are speaking, but one has testified somewhere saying, what is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you're concerned about him? You've made him a little lower than all the angels, and you've crowned him with glory and honor, and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You've put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all the things subjected to him. And what this Hebrews writer is doing is they're agreeing with Psalm 8. They're saying that same authority that God gave in the garden to Adam and Eve, that authority didn't go away. That's still offered to us. God still wants to partner with us and give us authority in his kingdom to move in power. But that last line there says, but now we do not yet see all things subject, which means that it is not perfected. And honestly, I mean, Look at our own lives. Look at the world around us. The idea of us having pure and good authority to, to, to make this world a place that is 100% pure and righteous, um, we don't have it in our strength, right? We, we, we think we're doing our best, and what a mess we have made of this world in so many different ways. So it's not perfect yet, but the promise is still there. And the call is still there to say, God, begin to work that in my life. The authority, the call is not gone. God, I want to begin to experience that. And the beautiful promise to all of us today, because we we might look and say, I don't have the strength to do that on my own. The promise comes in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, when it says this. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus Christ, because of the suffering of his death, crowned with glory and honor so that the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Because of what Jesus did, because of his stand that brought independence from sin and hell and death to every single one of us, this Independence Day, we have the opportunity to once again be reminded and experience that same kind of freedom, that same kind of authority, that same kind of call because of what Jesus has done in our lives and he continues to do 
on a daily basis. All of this shows that the cross is related to the coming kingdom, and without the cross, there is no kingdom. But our ruling with God was always God's will, and it's going to be accomplished. So in summary, and some of these themes, as you can see as we were going through, some of these themes that we can pull out from Psalm 8, that God alone is worthy of total praise, that God uses the simple things to confound the prideful or his enemy, Satan, and God has endowed us with authority. And you can fill in those next two lines of the summary of Psalm 8 in a nutshell is this, surrender and freedom. Surrender to God and freedom by his spirit. You know, one of the things as I was thinking about the Declaration of Independence and tying it in with the scripture is this word endowed. Um, In the Declaration of Independence, endowed by their creator with certain rights, and they go through this list. And do you know what endowed means? Endowed is a a beautiful, beautiful, powerful word that means a couple different things. Um, One, it might mean established. So you could say that we are established. We are given a place of authority by God. It also means blessing. You can talk about an endowment. It can be a financial gift or property. So there's a lot of things in their imagery that are are promises of God, um, but also authority, that we have received that from God. And that's what Psalm 8 is talking about as well. It's saying this almighty, all-powerful God is endowing us with the responsibility to bring about his justice and his authority and his power in the world. And as we look at those two simple descriptions of this psalm, surrender and freedom, I think back about that earlier quote from George Billius where he said that independence amounted to a new status of interdependence. That it's this fine balance of saying, God, you have given us all authority. Jesus says that authority has been given to me in heaven, on earth, and below the earth. And not only that, but I give it to you. You can do all things in my name. You will see even greater things done in your lifetime. You trust me and follow me and go out in my power. So that same authority, Jesus purchased by his death and his resurrection, and he gives it back to us. And while it's not perfect, the call to us today as we celebrate the, the, the Independence Day for our nation is an independence and a freedom in our spirit, that we're not bound to traditions and religion. We're not bound to sin and pain and fear and death. We are free from those things. And, and God is calling us to take authority, to take ownership of our own life, and do something about it, to not just sit back and say, oh, that's awesome, God, you freed me from sin. I'm going to sit here and tell you, you know, I'm in heaven with you someday. No, 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 you're missing the point. That God always said, I want to take care of sin. I'm going to do the part that you can't do for yourself. But I also want to teach you how to have authority and leadership and power in my kingdom. I want to work with you. And I want to see you follow your dreams and your passions and your goals and see your, your own life create. As I've created, I want you to create. But like I said earlier, the challenge, the balance is we also are dependent on God. It's this independence and independence of God, a balance of those two things. Because the reality is the more that we step into freedom in God's kingdom, the more we need to depend on him for his guidance, right? I know on my own, if I want to jump straight into freedom and say everything that comes to my mind, that's the will of God. I need to make sure that I... uh, that I've checked with him, right? There's a balance of those two. But it calls to us, it screams to us from this this beautiful holiday, it screams to us from Psalm 8 that God is the one that we should put our dependence in and our trust in. But he's calling us out. He's calling us out to live a life of authority, to live a life of purpose. 
You know, I believe that God is calling every one of us, challenging us to learn how to live life now, to use the very breath he has given us to bring beauty, hope, justice, and light into a broken and battered world. And God is calling us out to take ownership of our lives and our relationships. And literally to think about it, is abundant life accepting status quo? Really? Think about it. Is abundant life saying, I'm just going to do enough to survive? Because God's word says that Jesus came to bring us life and life more abundant. I don't think it lines up with God's calling and what he's challenging us to step into to say, I'm just going to sit back and cruise control the rest of my life. I think God's calling us out to say, I give you freedom because I've already taken care of your sin and brokenness. I have your future set up. So now learn how to be free and take action with your life to live a part of my kingdom and begin to see my kingdom come through acts of power and love and justice, justice in the world around you. And honestly, I truly believe that Satan and all of those world leaders who are living in satanic influence, that they want to train, literally brainwash masses to accept life as is, to get in line, accept your label, and live medicated and blind. But Jesus is calling us out into true abundant life, and it starts by taking ownership of the very life that he's given us and drawing closer to him independence. So some final thoughts on the sheet. And, um, and then we'll be done. So the challenge today is found in the balance of independence, living in freedom, and being surrendered in dependence to God. And some of these final thoughts, some of these questions just to ponder for a few moments. First, what does or would independent living look like now and in God's kingdom in your life? What would it look like? To live independent and free to live in liberty, what would your life look like? Maybe you're already experiencing a lot of those things. Maybe you're not. But think about what life would look like. And the second question goes right with it. What might be holding us back from experiencing liberty in Jesus? One of the biggest things I've experienced in my life um, is, is toxic relationships, honestly. Um, I don't think people fully understand and see how toxic relationships and ideas can literally pull you away and begin to cause doubt and fear and, and pull you further away from the truth of God. When you have people and ideas and things that are speaking into your life that this, you know, you need to be afraid. You need to live in fear. You need to hide. You need to act drastically. You need to just jump with the flow and whatever everyone else tells you to do, you need to get in line and do it. Those kind of ideas are not living in abundance, and that's not independent. That's slavery. That's being pulled in and sucked into other people's ideas. And, and that's the big issue with independent living is you making the decisions for yourself, you having a personal relationship with Jesus that's more than just I'm saved and I come to church, but saying, God, I want to see your power working through me and in me in my life. To say, God, I love hearing from other people. I love being challenged by Ryan today. I love hearing the worship by Khalid and being challenged by Casey and Dawn. But God, sometimes I need to be able to hear from you for myself. That's what a relationship would look like. That I can read your word, that I can pray, that I can slow down, and I hear your voice. God's word says, my sheep know my voice, right? If we are his children, that there's this beautiful connection with God where we begin to learn and be obedient with our personal connection time with God. That's independence. That's freedom. That's liberty. You don't need a mediator to do that. That's between you and God. 
So those first two questions are things to think about. And then the second half, talking about independence of God. What does or would dependence on Jesus look like daily? And are there any cares you need to cast upon Jesus today so he can give you his peace and his confidence? What would dependence look like? Growing in more dependence and so that we can have more freedom and more authority and be able to step forward in, in confidence knowing that God is teaching us, that we're following his leading, and the things that we say and the actions that we take are actually in line with the authority that he's giving us. Dependence on God, what would that look like? How beautiful would that be in our lives to continue to grow? Are we dependent on Jesus, his love, and his example? Or are we dependent on our own strength and our own understanding? Or by every wave of fear and emotion that may come our way? And um, the big question is, where do we turn daily to get our source of information? Where do we turn daily to get our source of strength and guidance? Who's feeding that into our life? I'd love to pray for you guys just to finish this up as we think about those questions. And please do not feel rushed. I want you to continue to ponder that. I just want to pray over us and then we'll be done. Thank you guys so much for letting me share with you today. God, I give you praise and I worship you just like the psalm does. Just like David starts out and proclaims that you are God. That you are Lord and King over it all and that our true allegiance belongs to you that our independence from sin and fear and death, the grave, the independence and liberty from those things is because of you, what Jesus did on our behalf. And we give you praise and we say, God, it blows our mind that you are mindful of us, that you, that you even know what we're going through, that you care for the little details and the big details of our life. And it's also amazing, God, that the same promise that you gave Adam and Eve thousands of years ago, the same promise that you created mankind in your image to fulfill, is going to be fulfilled in perfect purity and righteousness because of what Jesus has done. And we thank you that you've taken care of our future, but in the now, you also want us to experience abundant life in your kingdom. God, you are calling us out to also be people who bring independence and liberty to freedom to those around us, those who have not experienced what we know. God, you're calling us out to have authority and to take action. And God, we want to be good stewards of the life that you've given us. Whatever remaining days that we have left on this earth, God, we want to use them to the fullest. We want to see your power and your love at work in our lives. God, we want to grow in our authority and our freedom and liberty but we also want to be drawn near to you, become more dependent on your spirit. For we see Jesus in his example that he was dependent completely on the Father. Every word he said was something that he heard the Father say. God, we want to grow in our dependence and our connection with you like that. And God, in this world that is, is broken and struggling and questioning and trying to find something that is stable. God, we declare today, we worship you and we declare that you are the solid rock. You are the foundation that we put our, our hope in. And God, we pray that you would use our lives to declare the authority and freedom to the captives, freedom from sin, freedom from fear in our communities, in our families, and in our lives. And God, through turmoil and through what the enemy is intending for evil, this Independence Weekend, May we be reminded of what the end result is going to be, but also may we clearly see your victory and your power at work in our lives today, now. 
We depend on you, God. And we fully accept the responsibility of the authority that you've given us. And we pray that you'd help us to be wise and strong with it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Dance like David